With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome in once again to the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television, joined by Jay Travis Ryer, the daily radio host of Southern Fried Sports at 102.9 FM in Tuscaloosa, and as well the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. The Talking Tide podcast, of course, available at our web host at Podbean.com. You can also get it on various apps, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in this being a post a day edition of the talking tide podcast we'll dive into that uh heavily exclusively as a matter of fact here on talking tide today and we bring in travis ryer uh uh to kick it off travis uh you were there i was not i i was a i was a had to dvr the game as a matter of fact to to prepare for this podcast i clicked the button uh, to, to launch it this morning, and lo and behold, I, I get about a half an hour of Alabama softball on ESPN2 before the, the game kicked in, so I only ended up seeing the last three quarters of it, and I would imagine uh, that that, uh, that that broadcasting snafu was to the dismay of a, an awful lot of Alabama fans that were tuned in to uh, the Deuce on Saturday. Yeah, it was uh, kind of an ESPN2 day for Alabama athletics you had the Alabama softball team and uh, extended broadcast and kind of spilled over into that window you wondered if that might happen with Alabama softball set for 11 a.m. 8 a set for one and that's exactly how it played out so did see some of that some of that angst I guess you could say from those waiting for that broadcast to start on the deuce but um you know, it was about what you would expect I would say if even if you didn't see the first quarter you didn't miss a ton now you know, um, obviously a lot of questions for this team coming out of spring practice, going into that spring game. I think most of those had to do with the defensive side of the ball. So when you look at a stat line for Tua Tagovailoa on Saturday, 19 of 37, 265 yards, a touchdown, an interception, doesn't exactly blow your hair back, especially with the receivers Alabama brings back. Uh, but I think it was good news because I think what you saw was improvement from Alabama on the defensive side of the ball, especially in that secondary with a healthy Trayvon Diggs at corner, Patrick Sertan getting comfortable enough in his own skin back there to be able to move between corner and the star position, Josh Job going into his second position. I think your top three corners coming out of the spring, based on what you saw Saturday, you feel really good about, obviously, some experience with Xavier McKinney at safety, uh, perhaps Jared Maiden's going to be that other safety. We'll see when Shaheem Carter is completely healthy, how that sort of works out in those spots. But I thought it was more good news than anything else. And, you know, from a depth standpoint, I think you saw some some promising things from not only the defensive side of the ball, but on offense, John Mechie, uh, early enrollee, ends up being your Dixie Howe Memorial Award MVP of the game. And, you know, Mac Jones, other than an interception, did some good things as well as the backup to Tua. 
Yeah, Mechie definitely had a big day. Nick Saban cautioning fans after the game, after he pulled in, salty I guess. Nick. <laughs> salty yeah. Nick in that post. Yeah. Uh, yeah don't make salty. him a star after one spring game, please, he told him. Yeah. You know, uh, getting Boy. after getting after him. But, uh, yeah, Mechie definitely made a lot of plays. Not a lot of reps to be had for Mechie this fall, presumably, with uh, the amazing uh, level of depth that Alabama has in the receiving core. But, nevertheless, he looks like a guy that's that's – Going to be ready to step in maybe whenever that time may come. Uh, big day for him for sure. Speaking of the defensive backs who you mentioned, one thought I had and what I got to see, just from and this is just really from a, a spectator standpoint, not really from a football standpoint, but you know it's already feels like a, a less of a game because uh, the, the special teams plays aren't live. The quarterbacks aren't live. You know, it's a tag sack for the for the pass rushers. But on top of that, you had Shyam Carter and Jalen Armour Davis in the crimson defensive backfield wearing black shirts. And what that meant was, anytime they got near a ball a ball carrier, it was going to be blown dead because they can't tackle anybody to the ground wearing black themselves. So to me, it was like extra whistles early. Uh, made it made it. Just from a spectator standpoint, made it feel like even less of a game than it normally is. Yeah, it's kind of the opposite of one. I think it was Kenyon Drake one spring was in non-contact, and it seemed like Kenyon took advantage of that. Um, but but at the same time, it can it can hurt you as an offensive player if all they have to do is touch you, like we see with the quarterbacks. But I thought you know the outside linebackers with that white defense, the first team defense, you saw some positive things from too. We talk about the secondary, but pass rush obviously critical uh, to the success of that group on the back end. And Anthony Jennings, Ayabi Anoma, probably Anoma as much as anything. You've gotten to where you expect it from Anthony Jennings at this point in his career, but there were not really concerns because from a talent standpoint you knew Anoma had it in him maybe the switch from Tosh Lapoy as his position coach to South Sanceri is already having some benefit to him but Anoma I thought was a real force now got to take into account that Crimson offense that first team offense working without Jedrick Wills at right tackle so that was a little bit of an issue but I thought the pass rush in general not just the front-line guys. I thought some of the second-tier guys up front on that defensive line, Christian Barmore was a guy who flashed a couple of times as an interior pass rusher. You know, I thought all of that was to the good for this Alabama defense moving forward. The Crimson Tide, of course, put the ball in the air a lot more than they ran it. That's typical of A-Day. It's also typical of any spring scrimmage at Alabama, certainly under Nick Saban anyway. A lot of balls in the air. I think they threw it 75 times altogether. The vast majority of those passes coming from the Tungavaloa brothers and Mac Jones. I think Paul Tyson got a few throws off, but the other three by far ate up most of the pass attempts. Uh, your thoughts on the second quarterback, the third quarterback situation, Travis, Mac Jones, Talia Tungavaloa, uh, both had some moments. I thought Talia Tungavaloa might have thrown the best pass of the day on a touchdown throw to Jalen Waddle in the corner of the end zone in the third quarter. Uh, it pretty much put the outcome away uh, for the white squad, and, and I, I, thought it was, I thought it was the best throw of the day. It was on the run, and it was on the money. Yeah, I wrote about that uh, in the post-scrimmage piece for BamaOnline.com. I thought it was the, the Tua. If there was a Tua moment in the scrimmage, it was that throw from Talia. 
um, not only because he showed really good instincts, but again, as you said, he's right-handed, not left-handed like his brother. So moving to his left to make that throw as a right-handed quarterback, not only with a lot of zip, but extremely accurate on that throw to Waddle. I, I, I agree. I think that was the highlight maybe of the passing game in general. He had some other good throws as well. The double pass from Slade Bolden wasn't bad to Cameron Latou, the tight end early in the scrimmage either. But, um, you know, I thought all four of the quarterbacks did some good things. I, I, I don't need to see anything from Tua. I don't think you do either, Chase. I mean, we know exactly what you're going to get. Now, in terms of schematics and scheme and uh, concepts and things like that with Steve Sarkeesian in, you know, there were some there were some talk about, well, will the RPO go away? I never believed that would be the case because if you watch the Falcons last year, even there, Sark had some RPO with Matt Ryan at quarterback, okay? Um, but you did see some more maybe under center stuff, especially in the red zone. Um, so, you know, it, it very vanilla, as we expect, on both sides of the ball. Uh, but the four quarterbacks did some good things. Mac Jones, I thought, as much as anything, just showing that he had some bounce back after the really bad interception in the first quarter that he threw. You know, he closed out the first half after that pick, 11 of 13 for a buck 86 and a couple of touchdowns. So that's what you wanted to see from a guy that's got more experience than Talia or Paul Tyson. Um, you know, each of the four quarterbacks, the top four quarterbacks threw interceptions in the game. So I'm sure Nick Saban didn't like that. Um, but, you know, I, I think that big picture wise, both in terms of, you know, the, the number two job right now and what this position might look like uh, post Tua, I think you, you left Brian Denny Saturday feeling pretty good about the situation. Speaking of the interception that Jones threw early in the game, the recipient on that one was a linebacker we really haven't talked a whole lot about, Travis, and that's Shane Lee. The inside linebacker position, certainly one of some concern for Alabama this offseason. Exactly how that's going to shake out remains to be seen. Dylan Moe is obviously a, uh, an established starter. Uh, and, and Josh McMillan, I guess, ran with the ones for, for the vast majority of, of, of spring. Uh, but Shane Lee made a nice play there, and, and everything I've heard is, is that he showed up well uh, throughout spring practice. Maybe he's a guy who factors in there this fall. Yeah, about a week or so ago, we saw him move into a pairing with Markel Benton behind Josh McMillan and Dylan Moses, which made you wonder, wow, is he taking another step up the ladder because he had been paired um, with that third group, uh, Ali Cahoe. Uh, prior to that and you know we saw him out there first with that uh, with that second team defense uh, on Saturday so I, I think he's absolutely uh, a contender for a top three spot at least uh, going into fall camp and you know Josh McMillan's just that steady guy that the coaching staff trusts right now he's a fifth year senior he's not going to bust things uh, he understands where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there so for the time being, that makes him the guy alongside Dylan Moses. Uh, but you got to like the future for Shane Lee. And I think he's a guy that we have a chance to see uh, sooner rather than later. Although, you know, it was good to see Jalen Moody make a play in the game, too. We didn't see Jalen Moody for a while, but once he got in there, uh, he responded with a pick six. He did indeed. Uh, Lee, Lee ended up uh, with six solo tackles on the day, seven overall so uh, a nice showing for him and and that inside linebacker position is is uh going to be 
closely watched uh, in fall camp, no doubt about it. Special teams, Travis, uh, we'll, we'll dive into that. The punters, I thought, performed pretty well. You know, we, we throw the kick, we throw the, we, we, I say we people, well, you people, uh, throw the punters and the kickers together too often sometimes. They get lumped together. Um, I thought the punting was solid. Skylar DeLong, especially Nick Saban during the broadcast, said he, he felt like Skylar DeLong has, has come a long way. I think he punted for uh, about a 44-yard average on the day. Will Reichert got in there, and, of course, he's a, a dual guy. He can perform both tasks. A uh, couple of misses for Bullivis in the field goal department. Your thoughts on the specialists overall? I thought it was a good news situation. You didn't like seeing Bullivis right off the gate. His first extra point ricocheted off the right upright again, but this one went through, so that was good. But um, I think when Reichard made the 43-yarder in the first quarter, I think most of the fans at Bryant-Denny Stadium probably felt like, okay, we're good. Right. We saw one of those go through. We can go ahead and head back to the quad or the <laughs> tailgate or whatever we want to do, Birmingham, Huntsville, whatever. But Reichard was impressive. Um, Bullivis had two more field goal attempts. I would have liked to have seen Reichard get one of those two attempts that uh, Bullivis got. I would like to have seen two and two. Instead, we saw three for Bullivis. One of his misses was from 49. Another miss from 41. Of those two, 41 is the one that you don't like. 49 is, you know, it's hit or miss, literally, uh, when it comes to the college kickers especially if you think 49 yards is automatic for a college kicker you're watching the sport on the wrong day that's on Sundays that's right. not on Saturdays um but Bullivis hit from 34 made a couple of extra points you know, I thought kickoffs were pretty close between Joseph Bullivis and Will Reichard uh punting you're right Skylar DeLong having a nice afternoon was a very good thing average 47 and a half or so had a long of 54 a couple of his punts ended up being down inside the 20 so that was very good to see uh, I still think even with the long you're going to want to see it in the fall after what we saw last season because he looked pretty good this time last year too um but just kicking the football yeah I, I think Reichard coming in made Alabama better in just about every aspect of that really every aspect of it kickoffs punts uh field goal extra point yeah he's he looks as advertised at least in a in a spring game and you know the the return game is is obviously dead it's not live and in spring game situations but you you definitely like your options especially with Jalen Waddle coming back on punt returns yep that's for sure uh the crowd I guess 62,000 was the announced attendance figure not the mm-hmm. best uh weather rained a little bit during the game I think you mentioned it had gone it rained late uh but the forecast wasn't bad right the forecast I think Thursday Friday if you're looking at the weather it was a 50 percent chance of rain so you don't know going in if you're coming from outside Tuscaloosa thinking of making that drive from Birmingham, from Montgomery, Huntsville, out of state, wherever you may be coming from. Look at that forecast, and it can keep you home watching ESPN2 uh, in a heartbeat. I think that probably uh, definitely affected things in terms of uh, attendance. Although, uh, you say that, but anything close to to 60 uh, is still pretty remarkable for a spring scrimmage. Yeah, I think there was probably in the neighborhood of 60,000 on campus throughout the day. 
Um, I don't know if there was ever 60,000, 62,000 at one time in the stadium, but uh, absolutely. The forecast was not good. You got up Saturday morning. If you just walked outside anywhere in this area, you, you didn't feel good about the, the prospects for the weather. There was certainly an anticipation that the strong weather that we ended up getting late Saturday night into Sunday morning uh, was, was a possibility as well. So, yeah, I mean, all things considered, it's a time of year, too. I mean, people have kids playing soccer, playing baseball, doing different things, activities. Um, you know, it's the off season. It's called that for a reason. But still, as you said, a, a nice crowd uh, for, for, for April anyway. The Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Going to thank a couple of sponsors real quickly before we move on in the pod. Starting with North River Dental Associates and former Alabama linebacker Jack Smalley runs it over there and does a fantastic job for your dental needs, your family's dental needs. Go check it out. 1100 Fairfax Parkway is the address. It's easily located off of McFarland Boulevard, right behind the Jimmy John's. You can't miss it back there. The phone number, 752-3506. Now, they're going to get you in and out of a routine cleaning in less than an hour, uh, especially if you get in there twice a year like you're supposed to. If you're one of those guys that pops into the dentist every three years, eh, maybe it goes a little <laughs> over an hour. Uh, but if you get in routine like you ought to, it's quick and it's easy for sure over at Dr. Jack's. NorthRiverDentist.com is the website. You can go there and schedule an appointment as well. Check them out. It's North River Dental Associates. I'm going to tell you about Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa out there at 3200 Skyland Boulevard East. That's where you're going to find the very best selection of automobiles, both new and certified pre-owned, waiting for you right now at Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa. You can get the process started today by going to MercedesOfTuscaloosa.com. Check out the entire inventory as it sits on the lot. That's right, MercedesOfTuscaloosa.com first. Then make your way to 3200 Skyland Boulevard East for the very best in selection, sales, and service after the sale. It is Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa. Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com. Rolling on, Travis. We're going to fast forward right now uh, because it's a dead period after A-Day. Yeah, I covered Alabama football for six years, and A-Day was... Kind of, it kind of the when you walked out of a day, it kind of signaled a little bit of a a little bit of time off, a little bit of a slow time. So, uh, I think my brain is kind of in that mode because I've just been kicking off, I've been kicking back all day, even though I haven't covered Alabama in six years now, just because uh, the day after a day just kind of signals that. But uh, it's pretty much a dead period for football until camp opens for the most part. So let let's let's go ahead and fast forward. Let's zip straight ahead, Travis to. The first week of August, you've seen spring practice, you've seen A-Day, you walk through that practice gate on the first day of of fall camp. Uh, Give me a couple things that that you're immediately looking for based on what you saw in the spring with this football team. A couple of the, 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 the priorities for you, I guess, walking through that practice gate first day of fall camp. Yeah, you know, just probably the offensive line and how it continues to take shape. Jedrick Wills expected to return from that ankle injury in in relatively short time, so he should be good to go for the fourth quarter program, the summer workout program under Scott Cochran, but more so the interior, expecting Alex Leatherwood to be the starter at left tackle, Jedrick Wills on the right side, 
Uh, is Matt Womack going to be the guy at right guard? Does Chris Owens hang on at center? How does Emil Okior, Ekior, excuse me, fit into all of this? Is he at left guard? Is he at center? Deontay Brown's status after being suspended for the college football playoff. The interior of that offensive line is definitely something you know I'll have my eyes on. But you know, as much as we talked about newcomers this spring because there were so many and there were so many yesterday that we saw across the board for this Alabama team impacting the two deep there's still more coming and uh, it's crazy to think after seeing this defensive line the last couple of months with those three newcomers and what DJ Dale was able to do in such a short period of time at the nose tackle position you saw him yesterday as expected with that first team with Raquan Davis and LeBron Ray, they've still got some more guys coming. And Byron Young, uh, you know, one of their signees for the defensive line from over in Mississippi, Laurel, Mississippi. I want to see where he's at, how he fits into all of this. They essentially signed two defensive line classes in one. Uh, I think it's six total that they signed in this 2019 class. So I'll be interested to see that because that's that's how you sustain success in this league is is with those guys especially on defense but certainly on the other side with the offensive line um as well so you know that's kind of where i'll be more front and center uh continuing to see how this team develops depth at some key spots and you know that inside linebacker race with shane lee that we talked about does he continue on and sort of solidify himself maybe as something more than even a top three option um so there's competition, Chase. Uh, what about you? What What do you think when you look at this team coming out of spring and maybe pressing needs moving into the summer in August? Probably like well, inside linebacker, like you mentioned, would probably be at the top of my list. Alabama's just been so strong there for so long. And, and, and last season, part of the reason that the defense took a, a step backward last year you say a step backward. I mean, the team was was fourteen and one, and and, and the the defense played extremely well in stretches. But it wasn't as good as the defense of twenty seventeen. Period, uh, and it wasn't as good as most Alabama defenses. And the inside linebacker position was a reason for it. And so how how they're able, you know, how much does and and it, look, Dylan Moses is a reliable linebacker, but it's also on him to to get a little bit better. He's not perfect either. So, you know, Mac Wilson's caught a lot of the grief, uh, and, and he didn't have a great year, certainly, last year. So a big question is who's going to fill his spot and how well will he fill it. But Moses has also got to get a little bit better himself. So uh, to me, that's definitely an area uh, that will be kind of top of the list for, for Alabama in spring drills. The kicking game, obviously, is, is, is going to be heavily scrutinized. Really, at, at A-Day, we've almost reached a point where the kickers are they're almost like quarterbacks uh in spring practice from the standpoint of scrutiny uh if not from the standpoint of importance right yeah it is and i don't i i only believe about half of what i see from kickers in the spring because we've seen it in the spring before you know you'll really start to buy in as you move throughout the first three or four games of the regular season how do they respond in Atlanta against Duke? Um, how do they respond on the road in week three in Columbia, South Carolina? Whatever you think of South Carolina's team 
for the upcoming season. If you've been to Williams-Price Stadium before, you know for at least a quarter or so that place is going to be raucous, to say the least. So how they handle those environments, um, if that gets off to a good start, then I'll be more willing to buy in. But the initial returns from yesterday uh, were encouraging, at least. At least they handled that aspect of it well. Uh, But in terms of total buy-in for those guys in those spots, yeah, I'm going to need to see more once we get into the – into late August and and into September. Nick Saban announces following A-Day that he's going to be going in for, I guess, a little hip work. He didn't say it was surgery, but it said he'd be evaluated, could be out six or eight weeks. So who knows uh, whether, you know, whether he ends up on a table or not. But, uh, you know, the first thing I thought, Chris, he said it's not going to, uh, really impact the the football season at all, and that's why he's getting it taken care of uh, at this point. But the first thing I thought of when Nick Saban said, I, I got a hip problem that might put me up for a while, Travis, uh, the boys uh, at that region's golf tournament aren't going to like that so good, right, if it puts them out of that golf game. Yeah, that, that could be. The first thing that came to my mind is, is, well, Nick Saban's been a pain in the ass for college football coaches for 20 years now he may as well have to endure some of his own right <laughs> uh with that hip issue so uh you know we'll see uh it was interesting it was it was it was an interesting post scrimmage press conference i mean i don't know what got into nick's saddle the burr or whatever but he was uh nick was in mid-november form on on april the 13th he I was uh oh my gosh you got to go back and check it out I mean, he just, from the get-go... Like a 10-horn Wednesday? Was it like a 10-horn Wednesday? (laughs) Oh, man. It was, yeah, it was like like the the Wednesday night presser before SoCon Saturday. Yeah. You know, that's that's the Nick that you got on on Saturday. It was was beautiful. I'll tell you, he he, he never knew, you know, when I covered the team, you never knew when he was going to walk in fired up. I guess you kind of, you learned... That yeah, that Wednesday right before a non-conference game, particularly the one before Auburn, that was going to be one where he'd be fired up. But really, other than that, it was pretty unpredictable. Uh, but yeah, he—the only thing predictable is that if he had something to go off about, he was going to go off whether a question led him in that direction or not. Uh, well, he got a question yesterday about the health of Tua Tagovailoa, and I don't know this for sure, but watching the ESPN2 broadcast back and you may have seen this while you watched it live I, I didn't get I, I, don't, I only saw it Sunday when Favorite I watched it favor to leg right um, Blackledge and Tom Hart kind of made note that he seemed to a seem like he was being a little bit protective of that ankle or, or one of his ankles yeah. you know with his footwork in the pocket I don't know maybe that's where it came from it didn't register with me until today, but that was a question on Saturday. Nick didn't like that question real good. No, and uh, yeah, you, you need to go back and watch the answer. It's it's uh, it's it's some of Nick Saban at his best. Yeah, I, I I noticed it on a couple of throws, and 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 I noted Blackledge's comment. There were definitely a couple of throws where, uh, and and it wasn't the it wasn't the plant foot. It was the landing foot uh, uh-huh. when Tugavaloa would. The tray, he, it wasn't the drive foot. Yeah, it, it was he, the lead foot. Put that landing foot down and, and pick it up real fast like he was worried somebody was going to roll into it or something. You know, who knows uh, what's going on there. If you're, but you, as you said at the top of the podcast, you know what you're going to get yeah. with Tua in the fall. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Tua, uh, Tua realizes as much as anyone. He's draft eligible 2020. Yeah. Okay. And and if Tua's gonna get hurt or Tua's gonna have a setback, it's not gonna be in a spring game. So um, you know, again, I I tend to think that when it really matters, uh, Tua's mechanics and uh, you know the details will be accounted for come uh, fall. And we rarely veer away from Alabama sports on the Talking Tide podcast, but as we close this one out. Got to say something about Tiger Woods, Travis, right? He knocks it out, I wins believe. the Masters this uh, uh, this year, closed it out uh, today with a, a phenomenal performance. He hadn't won a major in I don't know how many years. It's been forever. I'm not a golf or something. Yeah, and and, and I'll tell you, I'm not a golf fan, and I've never even particularly been a big Tiger fan, but this was one case, one of the very few cases ever where a golf tournament on Sunday anyway, really grabbed my attention. I watched him play that back nine, and it it, it had me locked in, it, it, which is which is not easy to do. Well, it just reaffirmed who moves the needle in golf. And really not just golf. Tell me another individual athlete out there today still that moves the needle like Tiger Woods. You said it. You watched the back nine on Sunday – because Tiger Woods was light was there and yep. had the opportunity to win. Yeah. And there are millions of people that that was the case for on Sunday. You take Tiger Woods, you take Tiger Woods out of contention on the weekend of any tournament. And it's similar, I've said this before, it's similar to Duke, North Carolina and or a uh, Kentucky not making it to the final four like the final four we just had it was a great final four if you love college basketball then you you had no problem sitting there and tuning into the games that we got in this final four but if you were kind of a fringe fan and there wasn't a duke or a carolina or a kentucky you, you probably didn't watch much if any of it but you know uh that's the difference it's he is the brand not only in professional golf but for the entire sport he drives it uh, and that's that's why, whether it was Nike people or tailor-made people, his primary sponsors in apparel and equipment, Callaway, every other Titleist, they were all thrilled that Tiger Woods because he'll move equipment and apparel for all the golf companies. It's not just the ones that he endorses. It 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 makes golf important it makes people want to go play it makes people want to pick up the sport at top golf all these entities in the golf industry were huge winners on the tails uh, of tiger woods on yeah. sunday that's yeah. how much he moves the needle the guy whoever runs top golf over in birmingham that guy's on the phone tonight seeing if anybody wants to pick up some extra shifts right absolutely and top golf loves it because Top golf, everybody can be Tiger Woods at Top Golf. You know, <laughs> that's it, right. It, 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 there, there's not really a scorecard. I mean, you, you keep score, but it's it's not like the traditional style of play. So, no, everybody in the sport of golf won huge because of what Tiger did. Thing and, about uh, Tiger too is, and I don't have to be a golf fan to know this. He's he, not only is he a, a an iconic athlete, but 
he's not. It's all. It's almost like he's not a villain for anybody, right? I mean, you can go back and look at iconic athlete LeBron James ha- is a villain to to some people. It, it, whoever you want to name, that's that. It's a great athlete. Well, lots of love, but also lots of hate out there. I just I don't feel any hate for Tiger Woods. It's like the whole world wants the guy to win. Well, and now he's got the redemption, the comeback yeah. story in his corner, the underdog, which you never thought you would associate with Tiger Woods and all the injuries. Forget about the fact that, let's be real here, Tiger, a lot of his problems were self-induced, okay? Um, you know, this, this wasn't all just a, yeah. a, a situation where he was a victim of circumstance or bad luck. Tiger brought some of this stuff on himself, but in the end, it does appear as if, even more so than a golfer, as a person seeing him with his kids post-round, on Sunday, his mom there, um, you know, uh, th- those things that they they tap into our hearts, yeah. and, uh, and 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 so we we enjoy seeing that, no and, doubt about it. And just to tie the Masters back into Alabama before we get out of here, what about the ace from Justin Thomas? What about the uh, half-hearted high five from Phil Mickelson <laughs> and his group, though? Because low you five, know, Phil yeah, and Phil. Phil <laughs> Phil had probably ten grand riding on a side bet with JT. You know, you yeah. know there was some side action in that group with Phil. Yeah, Phil walks around with nine hundred hundred dollar bills in his pocket. You know? yeah. so nine hundred thousand of them. So yeah, you, you know that uh, you know there was some side action. That's what I enjoyed the most about JT's ace was that Phil didn't seem to enjoy it as much as everybody else in the group, which tells me. Phil lost some big money on the shot, so I enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, more lifetime money uh, put on the put on the line as a gambler: Phil Mickelson or Michael Jordan? I've heard of bets on the golf course uh, that I won't talk about it involving Phil and MJ in uh-huh. matches together. <laughs> that, that we won't we won't broadcast yeah. here. Those have to be um, a wash, right? That money washes out so if they're betting against you're each other. Me yeah, the, big, the bigger degenerate. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, I'll have to go with Phil. I mean, I've heard stories of Phil in Vegas where they had to go out to the to the airport and chain down his jet. You know, they, so he wouldn't leave with the tab as big as it was. So, yeah, I'll I'll go Phil on that over MJ. Yeah, awesome. It's close though, might be close. <laughs> That's going to do it for this edition of Talking Tide. Veered way off in the ditch here as we close things out, but that's okay. We, we do that once in a while. Uh, for Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover. Join us in another week or two for the next edition of Talking Tide. Probably going to slow down a little bit episode-wise uh, as we close out the spring and head into the summer. We'll still drop a podcast here and there. By the way, uh, follow that Talking Tide Twitter feed. It's at Talking underscore Tide, and uh, you can be alerted when we drop one. We'll be back soon enough, uh, probably not weekly between now and uh, August. Once uh, fall camp gets rolling, of course, uh, we'll be at it again twice a week by the time we get to that point. Uh, but until then, a little more spotty, but we will be around. It's the Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com.